Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Student Ministries Pastor Carlo Gusilatar for today's message. It was the Feast of Booths, the week-long celebration where all the Jewish people would come together and build small tent-like structures to live in for the week. These booths were small temporary shelters with thatched roofs made from palm fronds and other plants. These booths were a reminder of God's provision during the Israelite journey in the wilderness till they got to the promised land after they had been freed from slavery in Egypt. Like all the feasts the Lord commanded his people to keep, it was ultimately a time to celebrate, honor, and remember what God had done. There was music and food everywhere. The temple was filled with people from all over. There were lots of laughs, people singing songs, and friendly conversations happening all around. People were here to celebrate, and that's exactly what they did. Outside, though, from all the festivities, there was a man sitting at the entrance. He wasn't allowed to come in. Year after year, just like the last, he could hear all that was going on. He could smell the food. He longed to be in the company of people. He longed to be a part of the celebration. But because of his ailment, there was no way he could be mixed in with that crowd. He was an outcast, ostracized by the religious leaders and the real people of God. He was a blind man. He had no job skills, no trade to make money with. So this is where he found himself day in and day out. He did pick, on, he did pick up on a few things, though, through the years of begging. He knew it would be more profitable to sit outside the temple than have to set up shop anywhere else in the city. He knew that at the temple, people were more inclined to help him. People coming for the week-long celebration would have been eager to show off just how caring and loving they were. They'd be willing to hand out a few more coins than they normally would or bring him a few more of their leftovers. He used to come here in hopes of finding compassionate people, people who would be willing to help him that day. But through the years of constant disappointment, he knew that appealing to their religious duty in front of others was more profitable. Either way, it didn't matter to him. He would take whatever he could get. But the one thing he knew, this was his spot. The Feast of Booths was coming to an end, and with that, the blind man knew that his small bump in provisions would come to an end as well. People would go back to their daily grind. Fewer and fewer people would be as inclined to help him. After all, they would have spent all their time and money at the feast. They wouldn't have much to give him. So he called out, appealing to their sense of religious duty. It was the last day morning. The blind man worked his way to his spot. It didn't take long for the festivities to start up again. People knew how to party. But something was a little different this morning. It was a different kind of commotion that was starting up. He heard in the distance someone teaching. He didn't recognize the voice. It wasn't the same rabbis he had heard before. This was someone different. He listened intently and heard the voice speak and teach about himself being the light of the world. He heard the voice talk about having come from above and being sent from the Father. The voice called them to believe in the truth of who he is. The blind man heard the voice get stern and call out the Pharisees, telling them, had you Pharisees really believed in Moses, you, know, you would know the truth. And if you knew me, you would know that I come from God. And if God were your father, you would love me, but you don't. And the devil is your father. The blind man gasped. He thought to himself, look, I don't know much, but I know that's not the way that you talk to the Pharisees or the religious leaders. He heard the Pharisees respond back. 
Are you greater than our father Abraham? The voice replied, Before Abraham was, I am. The blind man could feel the tension in the crowd. He didn't know, to, he didn't know what to make of what he had just heard. He sat a little in disbelief. As he was sitting there in his thoughts, thinking about all that was said, he heard footsteps passing by. He could tell it was a group of men. Their conversations got closer and closer. Then he heard them stop. He could hear that they'd come to a halt and that they were speaking in his direction. One of the men asked, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? Instantly, the blind man felt guilt and shame come over him. He knew that people scoffed at him and brushed him off. He was used to that. But to get caught out this way, to become an object lesson of sin, he wasn't ready for that. He shielded his face and turned away, trying to ignore the group. But he heard a voice respond. It was the voice that was teaching just moments ago in the temple. That same voice said to the group, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so we're going to pick up our story in John chapter 9, so you guys can go ahead and turn there. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll get going. Jesus, I pray that as you come as the light of the world, Lord, would we respond, um, yeah, would we respond in seeing you brighter and brighter, God, you come into that darkness. Jesus, wherever we are at this morning, I pray that you would meet us there, uh, that you would help us to see you, God, that at the end, ultimately, we can call you Lord and worship you. Help us to respond to you, help us to see you. This morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the question that the disciples ask is an interesting question. Um, the question that they, they already kind of have an answer to this question that they, that they asked Jesus. Um, he says, oh, I am not in John 9. I told you to turn there. <clears throat> he says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Um, ancient Judaism would have believed and, and taught that any form of suffering that a person goes through can be traced back to some sort of sin in their life. If you sin against God, you deserve to be punished. It's what happened, right, to Adam and Eve when they disobeyed. It's what happened to King David's baby because of his sin. It's as simple as that. You, you sin and you deserve punishment. And that typically came in the form of, of illness and ailments. Um, and these people were cast out and, and, and not a long, no longer a part of society, people born in utter sin. They wouldn't have outright said it was karma, but that's exactly what that kind of belief was. You do bad things, you deserve to be punished. And on the flip side, if you do good things, you, you expect blessing. The disciples say, hey, look, we understand this already. Um, so just tell us, who messed up? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus responds to them, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus, to use Fred's words last week, uh, gave the disciples a paradigm shift. Um, they've kind of been, they've caught up in, in whether or not 
it was him or his parents. They, they've boiled it down. They think they have an answer. And Jesus gives them a paradigm shift. He says, hey, what's going on here is bigger than what you've boiled it down to. It's not just him or his parents. It's not just sin. There's something that you haven't even considered. What's going on here isn't happenstance. The blind man was born this way, that the glory of God might be displayed in him. God wants to do a work here. If you're here in the room and you're saying amen, I, I hear you. That was kind of my initial uh, reaction was like, man, the glory of God, that's what we're all about. Everything that we do, everything that's done is so that God might be displayed more brightly. But as I sat and I thought about that question, um, there were a couple other questions that popped up in my mind. So I know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. But sometimes, especially in those moments of pain and, and suffering, it, it just doesn't feel that way. I started thinking, and maybe you started thinking, like, I know God is all about his glory, but, but how could God do such a thing? Cause a lifetime of blindness and suffering just to prove a point? I wrestled with this question in preparation for teaching this text, and uh, it really was a hard question to, to answer. Um, but I was reminded that it wasn't always this way. There was a time in the history of the world where there wasn't suffering, a time where sin and death didn't reign. God, back in Genesis, created all things good. Life and everything that was created was everything that it should have been. He created man, stepped back, and said it was very good. But then we get chapter 3 of Genesis, the fall, Satan, the serpent, the fruit. The world since that moment has been spiraling out of control. Adam and Eve eat the fruit and just... In a matter of a few verses, as you read through, Adam and Eve eat the fruit, disobedience enters the world. Uh, they recognize each other's nakedness, shame enters the world. They hide from one another, broken relationships enter the world. A place where once God walking in the garden in the cool of the day was a joy. Genesis tells us they hid from God. Fear entered the world. God calls out to Adam, what happened? It was the woman, blame, shame, passing off responsibility enters the world. God can't have them live forever in their condition, so he casts them out. He makes garments out of skin and clothes them. Death enters the world. And since then, the world has been spiraling and spiraling into a deeper and deeper darkness. Suffering is something that is already happening in the world as a result of sin. The book of Romans tells us that the world is groaning, that it too has been affected by sin and is suffering. The world just isn't as it should be. And if you don't believe me, you can turn on the news. Um, my wife, Michaela, um, she, she likes the news. She wants to know what's going on, um, but she also hates it. They're either trying to get you adopt, to adopt a puppy or their uh, stories of burglary, hit and runs, break-ins, homicide, kidnapping, natural disaster. There just doesn't ever seem to be anything good on the news. And just as quick as my wife has, is, is to turn it on, she's all the more quicker to turn it off. Um, it makes her depressed. She's got a soft heart, man, and yeah, it just, it just sucks. It doesn't take long to see that the world is full of crap, and it just sucks, and it's hard, and that there's suffering, and that there's pain. But God, but God. Um, Matt got ahead of me a little bit in reading John chapter 1. Um, John tells us that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And in verse 14, we read that the word became flesh. God dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the good news, folks, is that Jesus enters in the suffering of the world. He enters into that darkness of the world. It's the fact that everything is still difficult. Everything is still hard. Sin, death, and suffering are still present, but God enters into that darkness. Jesus says he is the light of the world that breaks in to show the grace, the love, the redemption the Father gives in the midst of that suffering. Suffering is no longer suffering for suffering's sake, but Jesus takes what's already broken and is able to redeem it and use it for his glorious purposes. And be encouraged, be encouraged that there is no one who understands that suffering better than Jesus. The forgiveness and love that he shows to us comes only after he's lived a constant life of scrutiny, persecution, abandonment. He's received constant death threats. He was beaten, scarred, pierced, and was ultimately hung on a cross to be mocked, spat at, made fun of, and die. But he's got glorious purpose in it all. It's not without purpose. Suffering is no longer suffering for suffering's sake. But Jesus takes suffering and uses them for his good and glorious purposes. He enters into it. Suffering points to sin in the world, but Jesus says, I have overcome the world, and in me you can too. So no disciples, it's not just that this man or his parents sin, but in this moment, it is that the glory of God might be displayed in him. I am the light of the world. Amen. We're only in verse 6. I've um, still got quite a few more verses to go. Um, so let's strap in going to move along a little bit more quickly here as we pick up um, the story and read. Uh, we're in verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Um, so Jesus, like we, like we read, he spits on the ground, makes a mixture of dirt and saliva, pushes it on the blind man's eyes and tells him to go away. Um, and I'm just thinking, like, from the disciples' perspective, like, man, Jesus, you've just had some really good words. Jesus, you have just proclaimed and said you are the light of the world. I did not expect you to be a bully, right? He shows up. He spits on the ground, puts it in the guy's eyes, and tells him to go away. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just, the disciples don't even get an answer, really, other than uh, I'm the light of the world. Watch what happens. Um, some of the commentaries that I read um, talked about the mud uh, was placed on his eyes in order to keep his eyes shut, that the man was actually healed on the spot, but that the mud was closed so that he was away from Jesus when, when, he, when his sight came back. Because we see in other places in the gospel where um, Jesus heals, and all of a sudden there's a big uproar. People just want to be around Jesus for his healing. But Jesus has come not just, just to heal, but he's come to share and show who he is. And so uh, like I said, some of the commentaries say that it was so that he was away when, when the guy actually caught sight. Um, some say that it's a reference to Genesis, that how we were formed out of the ground. And so Jesus in doing this is kind of going back to that reference, taking this mud and uh, using this as a method of means to give the guy sight. But what I think is, I don't know. Everything I read is a little bit different than the other thing. But one of the things that I'm sure of and one of the things that I do know, one of the things I don't want us to miss um, as we open up the word is that we look at this blind man's response. He, he responds in obedience to what Jesus has said. He sat there. He's heard Jesus talk about these things. This isn't just a blind faith. This isn't just a blind faith. He sat there. He's listened. He's heard Jesus 
talk about these hard things to the Pharisees, challenge them in ways that, that he's never heard. And he responds to Jesus in obedience. So he goes, we'll read in verse 8. He goes, uh, or 7, he goes, he washes, he comes back seeing. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, it's like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He says, I don't know. People are kind of in a, a disarray. They don't know how to respond to, to what they're seeing. God breaking in, doing a work, showing up, doing a miraculous thing. Jesus, when, when he shows up and he does these things, you, you get people on one side or the other. People are either uh, excited for what's going on and want to see more, or you got people who, who hate Jesus. These people are like, hey, this is, is, this is the man that used to beg. He was blind. Now he sees. And some people are like, no, that's not him. It, it just looks like him. And, and, and they don't know what to do with it. So they go to the religious leaders. We're going to see here in the next uh, few verses that they go to the religious leaders to try to get an answer of what's going on. They're trying to make sense of what's going on. Verse 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them the same thing. He put mud in my eyes, I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to, again to the blind man, what, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. They bring, they bring the man to, to the Pharisees, and, and it's almost as if this trial begins. Um, Jesus had had some hard words for, G, uh, for, the, for the, Jesus had hard words for the Pharisees earlier on in the day, and, and they're trying to make sense of it, and they're trying to see what's going on. Um, the people think, hey, maybe they've got a Bible verse for it. They can help us to explain what's going on, but, but there's a trial that's beginning here. They ask the man, hey, what happened? And he's got the same story for them that he had for the crowd. Hey, he put mud in my eyes, I washed, and now I see. The interesting thing that we see in this, uh, in, in this passage is that the Pharisees actually go from asking this man what happened to him to this shift in focus to who, who Jesus is. Uh, they start making this statement about Jesus. This man is not from God. Like, hey, I thought we were here to figure out what was going on with me. This man is not from God. They shift the focus to Jesus. It's as almost as if they're not at all concerned about what's, what's going on, um, but more interested in attacking Jesus in front of the crowd that has come in um, because of what Jesus has done. We get a detail in the passage about why this is causing such a ruckus, uh, particularly for those who are in the temple. John tells us that the last day of the feast was a Sabbath. It was a Sabbath day. A lot of these guys already don't like Jesus, because like I mentioned earlier in the day, he was kind of calling them out, called them sons of the devil, and I'd be upset too. Um, but but they want to see, they want to see, um, yeah, people, people want to see what, what's going on. Uh, Jesus has been garnering a following since he showed up on the scene and they realize, hey, if they acknowledge what Jesus is doing here in this moment, what, is, what has been happened to this blind man, uh, they stand to lose their power, right? Because they're the religious leaders. They're the ones in charge. But if you've got someone from God showing up, telling you what to do, where to go, how to say, what to speak, and he's talking about himself, you're no longer an authority. And they didn't like that. So destroying Jesus was priority number one. 
Um, we'll see them say and do a couple things to try and sway the man and the crowd that has come in. Um, the first thing in particular we see to discredit Jesus was attack Jesus' actions. Jesus couldn't be from God because he did work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees didn't like him breaking their rules. He wasn't one to fall in line, and that just wasn't going to fly with them. Jesus would uh, usurp the Pharisee by having people who heal do work things too. When we see uh, Jesus do some healings, we see him say, hey, take up your mat. And in this case and in this instance, he's telling this man to walk a certain distance that would have been um, looked down upon um, in, in, in Jewish law. There were certain rules that the Jewish leaders had created. Um, and initially, it started out as a good thing. They were created in order not to break the commandments that God had given them. There were 39 categories of activity that were prohibited on the Sabbath day. And, and, and while those rules started out as good things, they were put in place as a way to make sure that people honored God. But what happened is they took these laws that they had made that were initially to honor God, and, and, and they elevated them to the status of God's law. It was supposed to be there to help, but now they were lording it over people and, and, and elevate it to the, to the status of the law of God. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest, um, and anything that was considered remotely work was not to be done. Um, mixing saliva and dirt would have fallen under the law of kneading, right? So the purpose of it was that on the Sabbath day, you were resting, you weren't sitting around cooking all day long, doing this work. Um, so they would have worked, they would have made their food the day before. But they were not to knead, they were not to make bread, they were not to, but that started, the, the rules started stretching out a little bit to, to include a little bit more things. Um, and I think maybe even particularly for this instance, just as a means to call out Jesus, it was put in place uh, for, for, to help people to honor God's law, but instead it ended up being a, a hindrance. What they concluded was Jesus could not be from God because he was breaking God's law, when in reality he was breaking their rules, their religious rules. And that made Jesus a sinner. They're like, gotcha, dude. Like, you can't be who you say you are. You are a sinner. You are breaking God's laws. But the interesting thing is the people's response to that. The people just aren't convinced in their logic. Um, because they have a question. They go, hey, look, how could a sinner do such a sign? How could someone who's a sinner do what he did, heal this blind man? And again, the people were divided regarding Jesus. They couldn't come to a conclusion, so they asked the man again, since he's the one who Jesus did the work on. Hey, what do you think, since he's done work on you? The man replies, he's a prophet. They're not very thrilled at his response, and we're going to see what they do next to, to kind of attack uh, the work and what's going on here. It's not what they wanted to hear. Verse 18 through 24. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that our, this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Um, like I said, they don't, they don't like the response that the man gives them, that Jesus is a prophet. That would be acknowledging that he, he's come from God, but they're determined to destroy Jesus's image, who he, who he was, what he's done. 
So they can't, they can't discredit Jesus' actions, right? People haven't come into agreement on that. And so they go, hey, you know, if we can't discredit Jesus' actions, maybe we discredit Jesus' work. Like maybe this man wasn't actually born blind. Maybe he's been faking it. Maybe this is a ruse by Jesus to get people to follow him. And so they call for his parents to come in and to testify. Hey, so is this your son? Was he born blind? And they respond, yep, that's him. Yes, he was born blind, but we don't know how his eyes were opened, um, and we don't know who opened his eyes. But, but don't ask us. He's of age. He can speak for himself. Ask him yourself. The parents aren't really willing to stand up for their son. And John doesn't leave us in the dark regarding why, why they react that way. He tells us that they're afraid to be cast out of the synagogue. They knew that if anyone would confess Jesus to be the Christ, he'd be cast out. And so for them, it's, hey, I don't want to have to do anything with this. I care more about my standing. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit fearful of the religious leaders. I'm a little bit fearful of how I'm going to be viewed. And so I don't want to have to do anything with what's going on, even if that means standing up for their own son. They would be cast out. They didn't want to have to deal with him, do anything with him. He can speak for himself. I want you just for a moment to imagine being in this man's place. Um, he's only known a life of being blind, begging, having always lived on the outside. Jesus comes, what he uh, comes and does what he does. He washes, and for the first time, he's seeing the roads. He's seeing people. He's seeing buildings. He's seeing the sky, colors, and he's hearing voices. And he's starting to hear these voices, and these voices. He's starting to. He's starting to recognize the voices and putting face to voices of people in his neighborhood. People are unsure about him. They bring him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are grilling him, questioning him. And it's probably the first time he's been in the temple since, since he was born. I mean, he, he's been outcast. He's, he's been on the outside. He's never been able to come in. And he's got the religious leaders in his face, upset, pissed off at this man who was the only man who showed compassion towards him. He's got this great story to tell and no one cares. Then you hear, as they walk into the room, voices that were voices of comfort. While you were a kid and the world seemed scary and you couldn't understand why things were the way they were, you couldn't understand why other kids weren't like you or why you were going through what you were going through, You get called out, the Pharisees call you out, and for the first time in your life, you see the faces, and you're putting, you're, you're, you're recognizing the voices of your parents, those voices of comfort. And I just think this was supposed to be this Facebook moment. Um, like, I, I don't know if you guys have seen on Facebook or these viral videos where, you know, um, you know, person sees color for the first time, or you see like, uh, uh, whatever, there's some modern, medical marvel and and somebody can hear for the first time and it's these viral videos and it's this like really touching moment like it's it's the video that you're supposed to watch and and, and have heartfelt moment for and you take it and you share it on all your social media platforms you start the the spam mail of like hey watch this video right like it's supposed to be this like heartwarming moment moment for this guy but instead instead of joy and love instead of celebration instead of laughter and excitement, you recognize this tone in the voice of your parents. It isn't joy. And for the first time, you're not, you're, you're hearing, you're hearing fear, you're not just hearing fear, 
but you're actually seeing it on the faces of your parents. This just wasn't the reunion that it was supposed to be for this, for this man. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, I was blind and now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us, and they cast him out. The man keeps coming back to the fact that he, he actually, he doesn't exactly know who Jesus is. He's, he's actually in the midst of this trying to figure it out too. But the one thing that he can attest to over and over and over again is the work of Jesus in his life. He says, look, it can't be denied I was blind. Jesus showed up, put mud in my eyes. I washed and now I see. It's what he keeps coming back to, the work of Jesus in his life. And they ask again and they press and they press and they press. And the man says, look, you, do you, like, do you want to be his disciple as well? Like, is, is that why you keep asking me? Like, you like hearing this? And we see them kind of get ticked off and upset and mad, and they go, we are disciples of Moses. They kind of, kind of reveal, their heart gets revealed. Look, we're not, we're not about, we're not about uh, uh, Jesus or what he's doing, or even, we don't even care what's going on. They've actually, they couldn't discredit Jesus's uh, actions on the Sabbath day, right? They couldn't discredit Jesus' work, and so now they just don't give a crap. All they want to do is just defame Jesus. Give glory to God. Jesus is a sinner. We are disciples of Moses because we know, we know Moses came from God, but this guy, we don't know who he is. They don't want to give up. They're, they're, they just don't care anymore. They don't care about getting down to the truth. All they care about is their power. The man says, hey, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, but, but this is what he did. This is what he did in my life. And when they say, look, we don't know where Jesus is from. Jesus is a sinner. We don't know where he comes from. Moses comes from God. The man is starting to put it together in his head. He says, this is an amazing thing. He's like, so we determined earlier on that God doesn't listen to sinners. And so, but, but Jesus has done, done a work here. And he says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. And you can check in your Old Testament, but there is not an account of someone being born blind, um, seeing again. It's actually Jesus coming in and fulfilling prophecy. So the Pharisees have been making a case against Jesus because they're in a room full of people and people are trying to make sense of what's going on. They've been making this case against Jesus they try to make a case against his work, but everything that they're saying actually makes a case more and more for who Jesus is. And, and, and we see the guy put it together here. The man comes to the conclusion that the Pharisees should have come to, but the Pharisees were blinded by their hatred for Jesus. 
they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us, right? This is the man who'd been sitting outside the temple. This guy, what is he doing talking to Pharisees this way? It's maybe because he heard Jesus do it, you know, felt a little confident. But they say, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. They say, look, you're, you're never going to be more than what, what you've always been. You've always just been a sinner. You're always going to be that blind man. You're always going to be that uh, cast away, that cast out, get out. They cast him out of the temple. Let's think through this story. I just think like, man, sometimes isn't this the way that life plays out? Things don't go as we had hoped them to be. We think sometimes that as believers in Jesus, when we come to faith, life is supposed to be all butterflies and rainbows. We're supposed to have this quiet, safe, blessed life. But it's just not true. Life isn't always going to go the way that we expected. And for this man, this was supposed to be his chance at a normal life. This was supposed to be uh, the time in his life where he was able to, to pick up a trade, to find a job. He could come and he can be a part of the celebrations that he had always heard. He could be a part of the celebrations that he was always on the outside of, excluded from. He would no longer be labeled an outcast. He could be a part, a normal part of society comes out the water and just all these things, all these thoughts. I'm excited for all these things. But instead, people are on the fence about who he is. They don't want to, they don't want to, uh, they just want to call it as it, as, as it is. They're trying to find excuses. I said he's in the temple probably for the first time since birth. The religious leaders are in his face denying him. His parents don't want to have anything to do with him. And he's cast out from the temple in front of the crowd. I just imagine this man going, where are you, Jesus. I thought that following you meant a changed life. I thought that following you meant a different lifestyle. I thought that following you meant things would be easy. Instead, here I am in the same place I was, cast out from society on the outside looking in. I just wanted to share um, just a quick story. I actually wasn't going to, to do this, but... Um, um, last night, I just really felt like God put it on my heart to share this story. But um, I came to faith in 2009 uh, through a college ministry called Inner Varsity. And I remember just, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a supernatural moment. I was somebody who, I just didn't give a crap about God. Like, I just wanted to go to the next hangout, the next party. I loved being, I was a social butterfly, still am. Um, but, but God met me in a powerful way that weekend um, in November of 2009. And I was at a point in my life, actually, where things just suck. My parents are in the back. They know, man. I was living with my parents. I was working a dead-end job. School wasn't going the way that it was supposed to. I broke up with this girl that I'd been with for four years. She was my life. Things fell, fell apart. And, and I was just depressed. I was just bummed out. But Jesus came in and did a work in my life. And I, I, I grew up in inner varsity, and I was excited about inner varsity, and I was learning about Jesus, and I was excited about Jesus. I was on different campuses. I was talking. I was sharing. I was in Bible studies. I was getting to meet all sorts of people. And then three years later, um, three years later, I actually failed out of SDSU because of my uh, desire to be in ministry. I just didn't take care of the things that I needed to do. And I remember, I remember failing out of SDSU. And I remember going back to the same office that I'd been working in three years before. I remember thinking about my circumstance and the same, the same, yeah, just the same things. And I remember sitting in front of my computer just crying and going, Jesus, what the heck do I have to show for following you three years? 
what do I have to show for following you three years? Sometimes life doesn't happen the way we think. We think Jesus is going to come in and work one way, and it just isn't the way that it happens. Jesus, where were you? Where are you? I thought that following you meant a changed life. Let's read on. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. What a beautiful moment. Right? Like Jesus does a work and, and isn't done. Jesus does a work in his life, causes him to see, but he isn't done. Now I was talking about, hey, if you're in here today and, and, and you are working some, through some things and life didn't play out the way that it was supposed to be, you thought that being a follower of Jesus meant your life was supposed to look this way and it hasn't turned out this way. I want you to read that and I want you to be encouraged. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him said, do you believe in the son of man? I just want you to know this morning, man, that Jesus hears you. Jesus knows what you've been praying about. Jesus knows what's been rolling in your mind over and over and over again. And not only does he hear you, he knows where you're at. He knows the difficulties that you're going through. He knows what your life is like. And Jesus finds you in that. And he wants you to know who he is too. He wants you to hear him. He wants you to know where he's at, that he's not far off, that he is near, that he does draw close, right? He's cast out the temple and Jesus finds him. The question then this morning is, do you believe in the Son of Man? My prayer this morning is that we would respond by calling Jesus Lord and respond in worship of the one who, just like the blind man, this is our response, just like the blind man, must enter into our spiritual darkness, our spiritual blindness. The man wasn't sitting around waiting for, for Jesus to do a work. Jesus comes out of nowhere, and we need that Jesus to come and do a work. Like Fred said last week, the wind goes where it goes. That's the Holy Spirit. You can't manufacture this. Jesus needs to come and do a work in our lives. He comes into our spiritual blindness, and he gives us eyes to see, eyes to see him. That doesn't mean life is always going to be easier, but Jesus is with you and he knows when life doesn't pan out the way that we thought. Jesus hears us, Jesus knows where you're at, Jesus finds you. And the purpose of all this is that you would see Jesus more and more for who he is that God who enters into the darkness, who enters into the suffering, who enters into the pain, who enters into the hurts, do you believe he is the son of man who does that? And if you're here this morning and, and, and you've been putting your faith in, in other avenues that you think are going to satisfy you, Jesus is the light of the world. He's the only one who can, who can satisfy. Let me read this last bit here. 
Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. 